motherfuckers doing? Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Ready to get into it? Yeah, yeah. All right. We're going team by team. I would be very careful about slinging stuff. Am I going to get sued? Is that illegal on this? Let's send you out on the right note. Uh, PFF sucks. Have a great day, everybody. <laughs> wow. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast Friday, February the 2nd, just a week or so away from the big game, the Super Bowl. We can actually say it because we're not selling anything. We're not trying to hawk you, you know, Doritos while we're saying it. So the Super Bowl is about a week away. We are going to cover that. We're going to preview the Super Bowl on Monday show, myself and Steve. We're going to preview it before we head out to Vegas uh, for the week of Super Bowl festivities and shows. Um, so you'll have a week to digest it all. We'll have the boo-boo breakdown later on this show where Vic is going to run through the injuries relevant to the big game. But myself and Brad are going to talk a little free agency and some NFL news. So Dan Quinn being hired by the Washington Commanders and then Brad's free agency list. How's it going, Brad? Going fantastic. I actually just clicked a button on Zoom settings to adjust for low light, which I think, ah. I don't know if you can see it coming through, but I probably should have done that a year and a half ago. But Beautiful anyway, it's, it's, and everything's going well. Beautiful and shiny. I clicked a button recently that that said something like uh, it was like automatic touch up or something. It, it like it takes away all your blemishes. It, it youths me by like ten years. You know, it takes away you the a, wrinkles. Yeah, you have a full head of hair that I'm seeing through the through the feedback. <laughs> no, I haven't clicked it on this one. This one's <laughs> this one's just old ass me. Uh, but previously, you can and you can also sort of adjust a slider for just how hardcore it wants to smooth out all the all the imperfections and blemishes. You can get, like, you look like a CGI uh, character when you do that. It's pretty impressive. Um, anyway, we, uh, we're we going to get into the Dan Quinn thing. That's the thing that we want to hit first up top. But this podcast is brought to you by the good people at Fabric by Gerber Life. If you have a family, you need to get term life insurance to protect them. It's one of the smartest financial decisions you can make. And this new year is the perfect time to get it done so you can focus on whatever else the year has in store for you. Fabric was designed by parents for parents to help you get a high quality, surprisingly affordable term life insurance policy in less than 10 minutes. Fabric has flexible policies to fit your family and your budget with quality policies like a million dollars in coverage for less than a dollar a day. Get your personalized quote in minutes and then apply when it's convenient for you. It's all online and on your schedule. You could go from start to covered in less than 10 minutes with no health exam required. Join the thousands of parents who trust Fabric to protect their family. Apply today in minutes at meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. That's meetfabric.com slash PFFNFL. M-E-E-T fabric.com slash PFFNFL. Policies issued by Western Southern Life Insurance Company not available in certain states. Prices subject to underwriting and health questions. All right, Brad. The Washington Commanders hire Dan Quinn as their new head coach, obviously former defense coordinator of division rival Dallas Cowboys. Um, I guess the first thing I want to touch on here is from the outside, it would be very easy to read this as a fifth choice type of hiring. Like, ah, we wanted all these other guys and that didn't work. So now we're going to Dan Quinn. Do you have any sense as to whether that was the reality or... Um, or actually how it went down, that they struck out with Ben Johnson and anybody else they wanted, and Dan Quinn is like, oh, I, I guess he's okay. It does seem like Ben Johnson was their top target, and they were obviously, I think, would have hired him if he had the interest, if maybe his contract demands were more in line with the standard of the rest of the coaching market. 
I'll say this. The thing we always hear about Dan Quinn is how he can build out a great staff. People want to work for him. He can get offensive coaches to come work with him, give them a lot of power. Of course, went to a Super Bowl with, maybe because of, Kyle Shanahan with the Atlanta Falcons. So I will say this. I think you and I have talked about this. I'm obsessed with the idea now of these coordinators that don't want to go elsewhere. You know, Steve Spagnuolo in Kansas City, insert names here. There's a report that came out from Pro Football Talk about uh, Chip Kelly. And maybe coming. I know some people might say, oh, his NFL tenure was terrible. I feel like we've retconned that. He took over a 4-12 and Andy Reid coached football team and went 10-6 and two years in a row. Now, did he run this kind of like weird program with a lot of, you know, nutritional stuff and he gassed out his defense and, you know, because they ran so up-tempo and kind of was trying to be too college? Yeah, maybe. But the thought process to me there is you bring in a good offensive coach that I don't think wants to go back to the college ranks. I don't think is going to get an NFL head coaching job again. So maybe the thought process is this is an at least above average to good offensive mind. And he's not going to leave for the rookie contract of this quarterback. So it, uh, underwhelming, I think it's fair to say, you know, Quinn's defense, obviously the last game we saw him play, they got absolutely demolished by the Green Bay Packers. They had a terrible game plan coming in, just playing a bunch of 220 pound linebackers against 12 personnel, Green Bay, and, and just got killed. But, but I do think, I want to wait to see how the full staff builds out. It does raise the floor, all those things. It's just underwhelming because I thought you could have tried to shoot the moon here, get an offensive mind, pair him with the number two overall pick quarterback, um, and, and see what you have. It is. I mean, it's kind of going against the grain, if nothing else, in terms of you know, the the trend right now to get the new young like name, the head coach, and everyone else is sort of staying away from the retreads. Like Mike Vrabel didn't get a coaching job this time around. Bill Belichick couldn't get a coaching job this time around. Okay, those are maybe more complicated by you know the level of control they want and all those kinds of things. Pete Carroll as well. But like the league has not jumped back into bed with guys that have sort of given it a shot, haven't had their success. Uh, have sort of failed the first time around, I guess, quote unquote, and then gone and rebuilt their reputation as a coordinator somewhere else. They're going for the next young guy, and instead, the the commander is with. Remember, this new owner, this guy who hasn't done it before. This is his sort of first cycle doing all this kind of stuff. Have gone with Dan Quinn from a division rival. So it is. It's an interesting hiring, if just because it's going in the other direction to everybody else at the moment. For sure. And I think that's also where you have Mike McDonald in your backyard. Obviously, he's in Baltimore. You're in Washington. If you were going to go defense and maybe struck out on some of the offensive minds you wanted, and again, maybe he wanted to go to Seattle. We don't really know the full dynamic, but then go full court press on that. Go after the best defensive play caller probably in football this year. Maybe against Steve Spagnuolo could have an argument there, but do that. And, and I know the staff is always a huge part. I think that may be scaring some folks with McDonald, but it sounds like Ryan Grubb, who was the Washington Huskies OC this past year. Yes, that offense isn't really an NFL offense, but I think he's shown he can build an offense around the talent that they have, probably help develop a lot of the talent that they have. I mean, three legit top 100 pick receivers probably. Of course, Michael Penick's career resurgence. So that that would be an exciting hire to me if he goes back to Seattle, which it sounds like he might. But yeah, it, it is it is against the grain. We had five defensive head coaches get jobs this year out of the eight openings. So you know, as much as people talk about the whole ideal outcome being going offense, obviously Carolina has stuck to that idea. They're very at the forefront of just wanting offense, offense, offense. They go with Dave Canales, but still not the norm, you know, or at least not not the most hirings in this cycle. So. Yeah, it's just, like I said, it just comes back to being underwhelming. I don't think it's a bad hire. I just think it's a bit underwhelming given what things looked like. The last piece for me is I do think with Josh Harris, 
you have this new owner syndrome, which is these guys come in, they want to win right away, especially you're building a new stadium, you're trying to restore the brand of the team. Maybe that scared off some of the younger coaches, where they thought, look, this roster isn't any good. I do want to be winning by, you know, year two, year three, perhaps, but is he going to go spend the most of anyone in free agency? Are we going to use these top 500 picks and try to, is he going to think that I should be winning, you know, going 500 or better in the first year, which again is always the goal, um, but maybe it's unrealistic. And, and I wonder how long Dan Quinn's leash is. Like if things are a disaster this year, is it just a one and done and, and Harris quickly pulls the trigger um, on a different direction? The coaching staff thing that you brought up before is fascinating because, um, if you look at Dan Quinn's staff, the last time he had the head coaching job, it was awesome. Like now, okay, part of that is because you had Kyle Shanahan and then you essentially had the Shanahan tree, right, as part of this whole thing. Shanahan comes with his list of disciples. So it's a little bit like that Washington coaching staff in 2013, right, where look at all these guys that were on the same staffs because, yeah, they were all there with Shanahan. Most of them were still there in Atlanta um, when – when he was the head coach, they obviously they lost, I think, McVeigh at that point, but both LaFleurs were there, Mike McDaniel was there, but also on the defensive side, Jeff Ulbrich was there as well. Jeff Ulbrich is now the, the defense coordinator for the Jets, who have had a, a really good defense as well. So there's at least evidence that the last time he had this gig, he hired some really smart people, even if you just isolated it to, hey, the man brought Shanahan in there on the offensive side which is a pretty huge thing. That got an MVP season out of Matt Ryan. So it will be interesting to see what kind of pull Dan Quinn has to assemble this coaching staff and, you know, if it can be a really good one. Because I feel like, I mean, we had Dan Quinn on the show quite a while ago now, but, like, he he sounded like somebody that had learned a lot of lessons from the first time around, right? It's not an easy gig at all, and you're not going to have the answers to some of these things until they happen. And if they happen against you, you're probably going to get fired. So I think there's definitely merit to guys getting a second shot at it. If they demonstrate, look, I we're a good head coach or we're a good coach period. Um, we can hire, which as we've talked about before is one of the biggest things. Can you identify coordinators, position coaches, bring them in, hire a good staff and then have answers to some of the things that went wrong the first time around. And I think especially with how you failed the first time, there was no, you know, from his the rest of his staff or the front office or the players that, like, he failed because he ostracized the building. Like, right. You know, I'm kind of alluding to, like, a Josh McDaniels here. Like, he didn't fail because he was, you know, not the most liked guy. I think he is, like, one of the most liked guys around the entire NFL. Like you said, you just learn some lessons, you adjust, you get better. And I do want to say, like, you shouldn't always just hire a 35-year-old offensive coordinator. It's not that simple. So... Yeah, I really don't think it's the worst hire in the world. There is certainly upside potential here, again, with how the offensive staff shapes up. Sounds like he might bring some guys, you know, over from Dallas, too. Um, if he can get, you know, Al Harris to join him as defensive coordinator instead of staying in Dallas, by all accounts, that would be a slam dunk defensive coordinator. I could be wrong, but I think he also had Raheem Morris in Atlanta for a yes. stretch. So, you know, we've listed like a half dozen head coaches that were on his staff. So, yeah, clearly he knows what he's doing there. Um, and from that point, it, it could be positive. It's just... You know, we just thought this was the most attractive opening in the world, and they were going to get this awesome pairing with Ben Johnson and Drake May, Jaden Daniels, whatever. Uh, not the case, but but I don't think it's, you know, it's not a bad hire in my eyes. And it's also, we don't know, the, the reports have been everywhere with that Ben Johnson thing. Like, we have no real idea whether they, that was, they really wanted Ben Johnson, and Ben Johnson didn't want the job, or they didn't want to go where he wanted in terms of finance or whatever, or simply Ben Johnson was just one guy that was on their list of people to talk through, and it never made it as far as, you know, this is our candidate that we really 
want to zero in on. I mean, there is all kinds of propaganda being fired out from both sides of that in terms of the uh, the insider reports. So who knows what the dynamic there was? But uh, if if it is they desperately want to Ben Johnson, then obviously having to settle for your fallback guy is not ideal. If it wasn't though, then it might have been the guy they wanted all along. It is just an against the grain type of hire. Um, all right, our next sponsor. This podcast is brought to you by the good people at Prize Picks. Eli has come up with a doozy, his Super Bowl prize picks lineup. We're going full sand with this one. We've got six prize picks across the entire thing. Number one, Patrick Mahomes. This feels like it should hit. Uh, he's going to get more <clears throat> than 0.5 passing yards. I feel like that's probably likely. Um, Brandon Ayuk is going to get more than 62.5 receiving yards. Br- Isaiah Pacheco going to get more than 0.5 rushing and receiving touchdowns. So he's going to score. Uh, Patrick Mahomes and Brock Purdy going for more than 38.5 rushing yards as a combo. Chris Jones getting more than 0.25 sacks, i.e. he's going to get on the score sheet as a sack, whether it's one or a half sack. And then Christian McCaffrey, and this is the big one, going for more than 90.5 rushing yards. All six of those things hit. You get the absolute jackpot, or you can have it as a flex play and still make some money even if uh, a few of them hit. Uh, I forget how many you can lose with your prize picks and still hit that thing. But anyway, prize picks is the largest daily fantasy sports platform in North America. The easiest and most exciting way to play DFS. It's just you against the numbers. Pick more, pick less. It's that easy. Instead of battling thousands of other players, including pros and sharks, you pick more than or less than on two to six player stat projections and watch the winnings roll in. You can also play alongside some of Price Picks' favorite players like rapper Meek Mill and comedian Andrew Schultz. You can find community plays under the Promos tab of the app to view entries from some of the biggest names in the Price Picks community each week. Price Picks even offers a reboot policy so that your entries stay in play even if one of your players gets injured. For football and basketball games, if you've got a player that exits the game in the first half and does not return the second, that player is rebooted. PrizePix is the only daily fantasy sports platform with an injury insurance policy. So go to prizepix.com slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. That's prizepix.com slash PFFNFL and use code PFFNFL for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, pick more, pick less. It's that easy. All right, Brad. We're getting towards free agency now. Uh, it's on the horizon. The first sort of significant period of team roster construction, rebuilding in the offseason. Uh, you've been all over it, obviously, at pff.com. You've got your list of top free agents. But one of the things you've done recently is add potential landing spots for some of the top quarterbacks uh, and wide receivers on that free agency list. And since those are the glamour positions, I suggest we dive into that and, uh, and let people know where we think they're going to go. I guess the first and most obvious domino to fall in the quarterback market is Kirk Cousins. So where is Kirk Cousins going to land up? Yeah, definitely I think all other free agent quarterback decisions will wait until after <coughs> Kirk Cousins lands. Even potentially some draft trades and things like that may get held up by, you know, does Minnesota keep him and, and they, therefore they stick at 11, try to add more talent? Uh, do they let him go? And then maybe they become one of the hot names as a, as a trade-up candidate. So I'll say this. I, you try not to do full-on conspiracy theory you know, each offseason when things happen, but, but I've made this kind of analogy before where when Kevin Dodson went from Pittsburgh to the Los Angeles Rams, it probably should have raised our antennas a little bit that you know maybe Sean McVay is going to change what he does on offense because philosophically, 
you know, it just didn't make a whole lot of sense for an under center wide zone, you know, play action type approach to bring in this kind of big gap inside zone scheme player in Kevin Dotson. And sure enough, they changed their approach to the run game. So when Arthur Smith went to the Pittsburgh Steelers now, tying it back to Pittsburgh, look, can he change his philosophy? Sure. Can the Pittsburgh Steelers change their entire offense? Sure. But you look at the differences between what Arthur Smith has historically done and what the Steelers have done on offense the last couple of years, even just looking at the three years of Matt Canada and Arthur Smith. You're talking about like a team that is 56% of their runs are outside zone, the most in the NFL by 16%. Uh, the Steelers were 24th. You look at play action rate, the, the, the Falcons were second. The Steelers were, I think, dead last. Like every, you go to, I can name 10 more stats of just like schematically what they do, but even just personnel, you know, the, the amount of 12 personnel in Atlanta was sky high. Pittsburgh wasn't that high. They did draft Arnold Washington, maybe want to do more of that. But to me, it just, you know, Ryan Tannehill's the easier connection because of the Tennessee days with them too. But I also wonder if they sit there and say, look, we, we've, we've gone 9-8, and 10-7 and seven, a bunch of years in a row with, frankly, below I mean, replacement-level quarterback play, below average, no question about it. And, you know, Cam Hayward's going to be 35, I think, next year. T.J. Watt's going to be 30. I'm sure he'll be good for several more years. But maybe they just say, you know what, let's just, like, make a bit of a splash go get Kirk Cousins, and we think we can win a couple playoff games with, you know, everything the same, but then you add in, you know, a clear upgrade at quarterback. So I think Pittsburgh becomes fascinating there. He's a fit. And like I said, Arthur Smith can change. I'm not saying he can't, but what he does historically and what Kenny Pickett and this offense has done, not the same thing in any way, shape, or form. So that one jumps out there. And the Atlanta Falcons, where Arthur Smith comes from, of course, still makes a ton of sense in my eyes. You have, you know, Raheem Morris bringing PFF Zach, Zach Robinson over. You know, they can cater an offense around Kirk Cousins, no question. Their old co-worker and Kevin O'Connell obviously loves him in Minnesota. Um, would probably have, you know, rave things to say about him. And, of course, they know what that offense looks like. So those two spots to me, if he doesn't stay in Minnesota, um, I, I think just jump up. You have Atlanta picking eighth. Pittsburgh's way down there, 20-something, 20, 20 so they, they don't have really a draft option. Um, I think if he leaves, I think he goes to one of those two teams. If you were handicapping it, what is the chances of Minnesota versus those teams? Like, what is how, how likely is it that he does leave? Because I would say when it was being talked about Bill Belichick going to Atlanta – I think Kirk would have dropped everything to, to, to work with Bill Belichick. Like, he would have loved that as a concept. That man wants to surround himself with the best at all times. He wants to pick the brains of those guys. You watch him on the Manning cast, it's like him interviewing them more than them interviewing him. Cousins just wants to be around those people to be the best quarterback that he could be. I think he would have taken less money, frankly, to go to Atlanta and work with Bill Belichick. Obviously, that's not the way they went. They went with Raheem Morris and then Zach Robinson coming in as the offense coordinator. I don't see that as attractive to, to Kirk Cousins. Like, I think it's like, yeah, I, I love Minnesota. It's great. I got the house here. I got the family here. But I would drop all of that in a heartbeat to go work with Bill Belichick, the greatest coach of all time. Would I drop it all in a heartbeat to go work with PFF Zach and Raheem Morris in Atlanta? Eh, maybe. But they'd have to, they'd have to pony up some serious cash for that uh, because the Vikings are probably going to pay me pretty well. Yeah, yeah, true. And Kevin O'Connell and Wes Phillips, so a lot of connections there. So... To me, here's how I look at it. I, I know Kevin O'Connell probably wants to bring him back. They probably say, look, we won 13 games the year before. He I mean, obviously started 0-4 this year, but they were clearly riding the ship and playing good football before Kirk Cousins, unfortunately, gets hurt. But I come back to they've done these you know, Band-Aid one-year, two-year extensions off of the original deal to always get out of the ahead of the fact that they cannot tag him. He's virtually untaggable. 
And this year, they made a conscious decision. We're going to let him enter a true contract right. year. One year, I think it was $35 million. You do that, so you take on that risk. And then a thirty going to be 36-year-old Kirk Cousins tears his Achilles. Like, if that's not your exit valve to where you say, all right, we're going to pivot to the future. Justin Jefferson's about to be making 30 plus million dollars a year. We got to pay some, you know, maybe Christian Darrisaw soon, maybe Daniel Hunter, figure a lot of other things out. If we also still have the expensive quarterback, we're just, we're just sticking in purgatory. And I, and I like Kirk Cousins, like they'll, they'll be a playoff team, but it just, I think it might be a battle between coaching staff and front office, frankly, but I just don't know why you would open the door to that, you know, p- potential. And then you, you feel the need to spend because because he has no tag, but like he he has a, as much leverage over Minnesota as a free agent team, right? Like it's yeah. not like it's a different scenario. So <clears throat> I still probably would say Minnesota's like minus 120, whatever. Like I'd still make them the favorite, but but not a heavy favorite by any means because I just I, I read so much into the fact that they did not extend him before 2023. Yeah, I, I forget where I saw it, but I think I saw somewhere saying that like he would have he was asking for like a two-year deal of, of like 90 95 million dollars or something for the vikings so like a 45 plus million a year deal for two years to tie him back down to minnesota i kind of feel like that makes sense for both sides like cousins is always one of these you know short fully guaranteed deals that puts him back on the market and keeps his contract pace with you know the, the higher paid guys and from minnesota's point of view if you can't get the next guy, like if you can't work out a trade to get to one or two or whoever you like at the top of the draft, you're not going to do better than getting Cousins, even if it is giving him a decent chunk of money, which and $45 million a year, it's not that much anymore. Like, I, I kind of feel like that's a fair deal for both sides. I would just say, so his first extension in 2020 was two years, 66, didn't get a slight pay bump in 2022 to a one year, $35 million deal. Um, that he played on this past season, I think we have a little bit kind of ignored age sometimes because of the Tom Brady's of the world. Like I said, it's a 36-year-old, already not very mobile Kirk Cousins coming off a torn Achilles. So I, I wouldn't pay – if I'm Minnesota, again, like in different scenario, maybe I would. If I'm Minnesota, I'm just like, all right, we're giving him – you know, again, like I said, I'm not saying it's a bad deal in a vacuum. Like He's worth more than, you know, $5 million more than Daniel Jones. No one's arguing that. But the downside risk there to me is is exorbitant, where maybe he struggles a little bit out of the gate because of health. He's already old, and you're guaranteeing at least one and a half, if not just the entire two years, you might sink the entire operation. And, and then you're just sitting there, and it's like, all right, we're not going to be relevant at all until 2026. So – I do hear what you're saying. Like there, there are certainly arguments in that favor as well. To me, I just say come back on a similar deal. You know, my projection. I know it's too low, but I have two years, sixty, with way less guarantees than he's ever had on a contract in recent years. That is more of the go back to Minnesota to try to kind of finish this thing out. And and you know, obviously, he goes back and and does the he bangs the drum before the game with his, him and his son popping their, their their tops off. And like, there's clearly a lot of love there. Um, you know, whenever your tarps off in, in the stadium, but. I just it's just a clean exit for me so I don't know we'll, we'll see it's gonna be fascinating I, he's gonna take the tour I'm sure uh go, go get courted by a bunch of different suitors and yeah we know how quarterback works in this league someone's gonna pony up and pay him a lot of money yeah and it, it'll be interesting to see whether like where Minnesota are on this in terms of they really really want him back and only could turn to other options as a last resort or like they would quite like him back but actually they're focusing on moving up to the top of this draft and Kirk Cousins is almost the fallback like they're in this weird position now where which is your priority do you want to 
push hard at getting Cousins back because you know he's good in this system and you've got receivers and, you know, this could be a really good offense? Or do you want to say, look, we've been messing around with this Cousins thing for a while. We did put a stop date on it. This is the stop date. It's time to stop and go hard at something else. So one of the the most interesting storylines, I think, of the offseason. You've got some wide receivers on this list. Uh, T. Higgins, obviously uh, an upcoming free agent. Same kind of question. Is he in any danger of actually hitting the open market, or are they just going to give him the Jesse Bates treatment of you're getting franchise tagged, and next year is when you get to say bye-bye? Yeah, I think it's most likely that route. He gets the tag, no question about it. I do think there's a smaller chance that he is actually available via trade. A team that I didn't put on there that just popped in my head as we're talking, though, let's say you're the Arizona Cardinals. You have this extra pick from Houston. You thought it was going to be a top 10 pick. It's now the 27th pick in the draft. And uh, so, you know, let's just go get Kyler Murray, a big body number one target. We'll offer them the 27th overall pick and, you know, throw in a third, whatever. Um, and, Cincinnati, again, I expect them to just tag him, make him play on it, see what happens. I really would be surprised if an extension gets done here just because he missed time. So it's not like he boosted his stock this past year. He is healthy right now and played well down the stretch with Jake Browning. But, yeah, he's the one, though, I would say more than Michael Pittman. Like, I think both get tagged, but I think Pittman just signs an extension. T is going to get tagged, and I, I would be shocked if the two sides come even close to an extension and unlike a Bates, maybe he, he he just causes so much of a fuss that they say, you know what, for the right price, I think around an A.J. Brown, which was a first and a third, um, I think it was, what, like 20 or 18 for Traylon Burks and 100, maybe something like that. Um, you know, let, let's 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 mirror that market and, and just do that. And then if you're Cincinnati, you take a receiver with that 27th overall pick. We know yeah. there's a, a ton of, a, you know, great talent there in the draft. So maybe it's a one for one replacement. But yeah, that, that, that's how I see that going down. They are, that's a sort of fascinating draft spot for that conversation as well, because you're right. Number one, this draft, I think, is particularly well stocked of massive bodied receivers. Like last year, the, the sort of trend of the receivers was they're all tiny. Like all these guys that look like Tank Dell was where you were looking at the bottom of the first, the second, and the third round. Now, when you get to the bottom of the first, all the guys around seem to be giants. You're talking about, you know, Xavier Leggett or Keon Coleman or, you know, Donnie Mitchell from Texas. All these, like, 6'3", 6'4", 6'2", apparently, in, in uh, Leggett's <laughs> case. Um, no, 6'1", right? He was even smaller. 6'1". Yeah. Anyway, like 210, 220-pound bodied guys. And, like, the ceiling for them is probably T. Higgins. Like, the best you're going to get out of a guy like that, if you're lucky, is probably T. Higgins. Maybe one of them becomes a better receiver than that. But that's probably the best you can expect. But obviously T. Higgins is is due the next contract, whereas those guys are going to come in on the, the fresh rookie deal. So it's like how much do you value that contract effectively is the conversation you're having when you're making that, you know, the certainty of T. Higgins actually being T. Higgins and one of those guys maybe can be T. Higgins versus – rookie contract versus veteran contract. It's a really like interesting, you know, team building kind of hypothetical that might actually play out. And the Bengals to me deserve credit. They've shown a lot of the tendencies and traits that these sustained winners tend to do. Like in their free agency moves when they had the incredible haul of, you know, Chidobi Wuzier, Trey Hendrickson, Mike Hilton, all those guys, it was the second wave. They didn't they didn't make a big splash early on. They've let some talented players leave. You, you lose a Von Bell and kind of have question marks in the secondary at safety. You know, obviously you use some draft capital there, but they've done a lot of that. Letting players go and trying to replenish it via the draft. Um, the next step is you make these tough decisions. I know Joe Burrow wouldn't be happy. I know Jamar Chase wouldn't be happy. The fans wouldn't be happy. I get that. But if you want this team to be a contender for the next 10 years, 
getting I mean yeah like you're talking about like look at Marquise Brown gets traded from the Baltimore Ravens to the Arizona Cardinals you drop in Tyler Lindebaum who's already you know one of the I don't know five six seven best centers in the entire NFL um and obviously we're talking adding a premium position here not not a center um so yeah it, that that's what the sustained elite teams do you've already paid Joe Burrow top of market you've given him you know 200 more guaranteed dollars than any other player in the last decade you, you got to start doing stuff like this. As much as it sets you back in the short term, it's how you sustain the long term. All right, so you have a bunch more wide receivers on this list. I'm going to list out some names, and then you give me a shout for which one you actually want to focus on the most. Michael Pittman Jr. from Indianapolis, obviously a free agent. Mike Evans, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, great. The uh, wide receiver version of Curtis Martin, as we discussed uh, previously on this show. Marquise Brown, who you just mentioned from the Arizona Cardinals. Um, Calvin Ridley from the Jags after his season. And then let's cut it off at Darnell Mooney for the Bears and Gabriel Davis for the Buffalo Bills. Yeah, so good cluster here. So first, I'll start with Mike Evans. Uh, he had an interesting quote. He was at the Houston Rockets game, I want to say, a couple nights ago. And some reporter asked him, you know, about his upcoming offseason. He was like, I'm excited to see where I go. So, you know, he is viewed as this guy who is always Tampa, Tampa, Tampa. And I think he is. You know, he, he talked about, like, taking a pay cut in the middle of the Tom Brady era when he was already probably one of the most underpaid receivers in the NFL. And last offseason, he, he expressed his frustration. Him and his agent were, you know, in the media saying, like, yeah, we wanted to get a deal done. We're frustrated it didn't happen. You know, we'll see how the year goes, and then maybe we'll bounce. So, to me, him is he's interesting, where I think he could go the cash-out big route, maybe follow Dave Canales to Carolina, hypothetically. They'll probably pay him as much as he's, he's you know, as much as he asks for. Or does he stick with the Tom Brady approach, go to, like, a New York Jets and be the, the big physical X, you know, alongside the kind of move, uh, versatile Z and Garrett Wilson uh, and pair up with Aaron Rodgers. So, he's fascinating to me. Uh, the other one I want to jump to is Calvin Ridley, where I originally on our, on our free agency big board, uh, you know, it was week 13. I, I wasn't trying to be lazy here. I understand how the <laughs> rules work, but I put a tag down, put a tag down for Josh Allen and Calvin Ridley. It's kind of me just punting the, the decision of, of how I was going to project one or the other. Trent Balky, the GM, came out and basically said, like, we're going to tag Josh Allen. They haven't talked yet. If you're between the two, it's not even a discussion. Josh Allen was a top five edge rusher, maybe top 10 edge rusher in the NFL this year. Um, and Calvin Ridley, the 29-year-old receiver, that was good and, and I think did get much better at the end of the season, but he's going to hit the market. So Ridley's fascinating to me. Um, I think he's now like more of your move guy. You got to create some free releases. Like He struggled against press this year uh, and, and creating separation against man coverage, which he was great at in Atlanta. Maybe that, that comes back, but Chicago is interesting to me. You pair him with the, with the DJ Moore. I put Kansas City on here because he kind of is that Kansas City type receiver. Look, he definitely wants to get paid to a degree. I mean, he's still looking for his first veteran contract at 29. Um, but yeah, he's going to hit the market now. And, you know, obviously Jacksonville trusted him. They traded for him mid-suspension. I'm sure he'd like to figure something out there. But, I mean, that team is kind of in turmoil right now. You got the GM throwing the coaching staff under the bus in his, his end-of-season press conference. Ridley, to me, is a, is a really, really interesting piece because the floor is really high, um, you know, which you can't say a lot about a free agent uh, wide receivers. be a phenomenal combination with that Kansas City offense as well because he'd fit right in with a receiving core that's letting down the quarterback on a consistent basis. It's a perfect match. Yeah, his drops came down. His drops came down. <laughs> but, yeah, they, they were sky high. They did. probably led the league through week nine, but they, they definitely came down. But it's, it's not a bad shot. And we'll throw the last one in there for Darnell Mooney. Also have Kansas City on here, in part the connection to Matt Nagy, who obviously drafted him in Chicago, had a thousand-yard season as a second-year player there, you know, with 2021 quarterbacks being Andy Dalton and Justin Fields. So, you know, they've had the fewest passing yards in the entire NFL since Mooney joined the team. Uh, and the Chiefs, 
shockingly, have, have had the most. So this to me, I think there is going to be one receiver we get who follows the Juju Smith-Schuster path of I'll get some decent middling offers, but I could take a one-year flyer from the Chiefs with you know chock full of incentives for people to forget. Juju had a one-year $3.76 million one-year flyer. He left Kansas City with ten and a half million dollars because of uh, you know all the playoff success and then some individual success. So to me, like I also think Darnell Mooney's a great fit. He creates separation at the intermediate level. Had a down year this year with like the, the contested catch stuff and things like that. I think there's going to be variance there and positive regression. We've seen him make plays in traffic and and make some snags over top of defenders before. He was just hurt and just had a bad year. But if I'm him, go to Kansas City, sign a one-year flyer, put up a monster year with with Patrick Mahomes. And hopefully someone else pays you to be there, you know, number two, number three, but on a on a good, uh, you know, mid-tier market deal. Gentlemen, back to quarterbacks for a second. Um, you got Baker Mayfield on this list. You've got Ryan Tannehill. Um, Baker Mayfield, I assume, is going to re-up in Tampa Bay. It's just a case of what that costs them. Um, but Tannehill is is maybe more intriguing to me. Is what does his market look like? I think you're looking at the Andy Dalton market. He signed two years, $10 million last year, coming off a good season with the New Orleans Saints. You know, Tannehill, also Pittsburgh. Like, if they're going to kind of go the, like, cheaper bridge and kind of competition for Kenny Pickett, obviously Ryan Tannehill would make all the sense in the world. So, yeah, I, I think that's where I see that. I put Denver on there. They do have Jarrett Stidham, so maybe they feel they already had that guy. But I think they're going to take the risk of, like, not having a, a guy they trust and, and, and think they can build an offense around. But, yeah, he's fascinating. The Baker story, too, I think the hiring of Liam Cohen this morning by the Buccaneers as their offensive coordinator is a bit of a tell. You know, he was with the Rams last year when Baker came in and obviously had, you know, that that great game. I think it was against the Raiders where he kind of went off and and won a game for them. So that, to me, is a bit of a signal. I think they are going to want to get that done. They're obviously picking very late in the draft. You know, the report's already coming out. He's looking for, like, $45 million. I mean, he had a better year than Daniel Jones did last year, but – I don't know. We'll see. I think it falls more in like 30, 35 uh, than, than 45. But yeah, he had a good season. That Daniel Jones contract, like every single GM up talking about re-upping a quarterback is is getting that thrown in their face for in, the, in these negotiations already. Like forget where they end up. But like that's the starting point, right? Is the GM's got his, his price, the agent's got his price, and the first counter is going to be Look at this Daniel Jones contract. My guy's way better than that tool. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah, I, I love there were some Packers fans, you know, talking about like maybe Jordan Love takes a similar deal. It's like, fellas, I think Jordan Love had more touchdown passes this year than Daniel Jones had two the two years combined prior to signing his extension. So, you know, good luck with that. I, I don't think it's going to be the case. He wasn't perfect this year, but the second half of the season, he may have been the best quarterback in football. So, yeah, no, I think his deal starts with a five, not a four. Um, but yeah, that, that Jones contract is, is not helping teams, uh, no question about it. And Baker, somebody needs to keep track now of like what he gets to in terms of totality of offensive changes, yes. system changes he's had in his career. Because I know he had the record for like the first, the, the most in a four or five year period to start his career. It's not like it's slowing down anytime soon. Like the man loses coordinator every single season, if not multiple within the year. He's going to hit the record at some point if that keeps going. Like, I, I assume somebody like Josh McCown or, you know, somebody like that, Ryan Fitzpatrick, has the just the, the total record for number of offensive systems they've been in through just the, the volume of teams they played at. But, dude, Baker's got to be chasing that down the longer his career goes, goes on at this rate. 
He he really is on a, on a historic path there. I think it's like every year of his career. Even when he was at the same team for four years in Cleveland, yeah. I think he had a different offensive play caller every single year. So yeah, that that is uh, it's a good shout. Alex Van Pelt was his coach for that. Uh, who we forget about when they won that playoff game against Pittsburgh, and Alex Van Pelt was the acting head coach because uh, uh, what's his name? Stefanski was at home, like you know, watching on TV, you know, with COVID in his basement. Um, he, he's now the New England OC, so maybe pair him with it with a young pick quarterback. But yes, tangent aside, Baker Mayfield, feel bad for the guy. I, maybe some continuity would have would have helped him out, uh, and he would still be in Cleveland if they could have just kept an OC for for more than one year. And then obviously we've saved the best for last. We got to wrap this up with Pro Bowl quarterback. Gardner Minshew, what does Gardner Minshew's uh, market look like after this this Pro Bowl season that uh, that he had filling in for Anthony Richardson? Yeah, you know, I think we are going to see a bit of a boon for the backup quarterback market. There were just so many guys that played this year in the backup spot, and you either had a guy like Gardner who's playing in a de facto playoff game in Week 18, or you were another team cycling through backups and trying to figure things out, and it was a bit of a disaster. So I actually project him a pretty strong deal. It's two years, 17.5 mil, so 8.75 per year. It's kind of a cap-adjusted Taylor Heineke-type deal. You know, I think Heineke maybe just got a, a big contract because clearly Atlanta, you know, obviously had some question marks going into the season about Desmond Ritter. But if there's a team like that that either is taking a rookie, obviously why Gardner went to uh, the Indianapolis Colts in the first place with Anthony Richardson, or they have, like, let's, I don't know, let's say Washington punts on, you know, taking a QB at two for whatever reason and, and gives Sam Howell another shot. But then you bring in, uh, you know, a Gardner. So, yeah, I, I think he's interesting. I, I think he's going to have a market. He, he clearly is a high floor player. You know, the ceiling is not that high, but I think he makes sense in a bunch of spots. I, I put down the Giants here, which again, I think for him, from Gardner's perspective, maybe you start the first month of the season, hypothetically, as Daniel Jones recovers from the torn ACL, you get some runway there. If he gets hurt, you get to keep playing and continue to put good football on tape. But yeah, I think he's going to have a decent market. It, it's hard because there's only so many, you know, musical chairs available, but that upper tier backup QB, I think, is going to have a, a nice offseason uh, overall. All right. The last thing to tell you about before we get into the booboo breakdown is it's all draft and free agency from this point on. If you are already there drafting to your heart's content on the PFF mock draft sim, we have a promo code for you guys 30MDS, 30MDS. Gets you 30% off an annual PFF subscription. Draft for your favorite team with PFS Mock Draft Simulator. Or frankly, draft for all the damn teams. Go and select all of it. Tinker with the uh, the controls. Figure out what the draft is going to do. Um, and, you know, spend your time mock drafting. We've got some emails in already. NFL podcast at PFF.com. People sending us they're awesome mock drafts that they've created, but get in there on the action, get 30% off, 30 MDS. And now let's head over to the final boo-boo breakdown of the season. Thank you very much, Bradley. Thank you. All right, welcome into the very last boo-boo breakdown of the NFL season with our guy, Vic Troja. Um, we're going to go an early preview of the Super Bowl. We'll be previewing the game as well, uh, to, not tomorrow, when Monday morning for all of you listeners or viewers but uh, let's talk about the game, Vic. Yeah, well, entering in technically week 22, and we might have one of the lightest injury reports of the season, so figure that mouth out for me. Well, it helps when there's only two teams left. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I mean, coming into today, it's, it's been interesting because what we're going to pretty much cover is more of a, a recovery for a lot of these players. Um, couple big names that might be out but a lot of what we saw carry over from last week and just seeing how these players are going to 
deal with some of their injuries. Yeah, so obviously the big difference between this and most other games is you get the extra week of, right. of rest and recovery. Um, let's first of all cover any loss from the, the championship games, the most obvious of which was Charles Amenu tearing yeah. his ACL during that game. Um, obviously brutal for him, uh, losing, losing his chance at a Super Bowl one game before it happens. Um, but what is the story with an ACL injury this late in the season? So, you know, very late January, basically as late as you could possibly do it. What does that mean for him next season? Yeah, starting off rehab as soon as that swelling goes down and surgery is done. But unfortunately, like when you have an ACL tear late in the season or any type of significant injury like this, you aren't really targeting week one. You're targeting just getting back at the beginning of the season at some point whenever his recovery is, is full. For Amenihu, from what I've seen so far, just an ACL, give it about nine months um, post-surgery. Uh, it's just unfortunate, the timing of it. Obviously, he wants to be there for the Super Bowl, but if you're going to tear your ACL, do it with a strip sack, right? So right. he uh, he's going to have a, an off-season of recovery, not a lot of uh, physical training as far as um, getting stronger and stuff like that, but just more rehab. And is that still the timetable for, let's say, you know, a routine, quote-unquote, ACL injury with nothing else associated with it, just the ACL tear? Um, because we've seen guys now sort of recover for those in six months and mm -hmm. be back in the field. Like if there's nothing um, complicating that, are you still looking at this and saying, you know, nine months is the timetable, so we're not looking at week one? Or are you saying, look, if everything goes well, there's no reason we can't be back for the start of the regular season? Yeah, nine months is that arbitrary number because you do have those people who are just either freak athletes or make that miraculous recovery and come back earlier. But you can't just try to categorize somebody into that that spectrum of like a six to seven month window when they very well could take nine or 10 months. And nine or 10 months is not what we say like, okay, well, you're gonna come back and be able to practice. Like nine or 10 months, we expect you to be on the field as far as like the NFL caliber players. Um, okay, let's look at the uh, the Chiefs injuries mm -hmm. for the actual game. Uh, Joe Tooney obviously was one of the biggest ones in the AFC Championship game, all pro caliber left guard. It's, uh, it's a big loss when he's not out there. Is he gonna be back out there with the extra week of rest? So it's very interesting because as of now, they aren't giving us any more information about what Tooney's injury really is. Now, they're calling it a pec strain, but to kind of put that in perspective, a pec strain can be in the muscle, at the muscle tendon junction, or at the tendon bone junction. And if he has tears outside of the muscle, there's what we call like less vascularity, less blood flow, which is delayed healing. If he is just dealing with a little bit of strain. Pain is going to be his guide, and I wouldn't be surprised if he tries to push it through and play. But if he's not healing that well, and if it's a little bit more severe when what the MRI is leading, then he very well could not play. Now, luckily, they didn't really show a, a big drop-off from his absence, but um, it's going to be one of those that, like, mid-next week, we're going to get a really good idea based off of his practice report and how he's doing. But as of now, if the game was coming up this weekend, I would not expect him to play. But that extra week is actually very important for him as far as a soft tissue recovery. And that's the other element involved in all this, right, is that it's the Super Bowl. Yeah. <laughs> if we're even remotely marginal, yep. certainly the player is going to be pushing to play and probably the team is going to be trying to get them to play as well. You know, even if maybe in a given week, certainly a regular season week eight game, there wouldn't be. Yep. And they're going to definitely try as far as like right now in this window still to keep him involved in 
all of the game reports and planning. But then when it comes to next week when he's actually going full go in practice, that's when we're going to get a better idea when he's testing out that pec to see if it can withstand some of the forces. Because as you know, an interior offensive lineman like that, he has to use his chest a lot. So we'll see what ends up happening. Um, Isaiah Pacheco obviously had that mm-hmm. foot and foot and toe injury. Yep. Um, they had him obviously playing in, in the ASC championship game. I, I believe they were saying he had something, you know, fitted to his, uh, his shoe, his mm-hmm. cleat to try and kind of lessen the impact there. Uh, is two weeks going to clean him up? Yeah, he'll pretty much be full go easy to, um, recover from that just based off what he looked like last game. Now, if you were to ask that question and he hobbled off to the sideline a couple of times. Yeah, we'd have a little bit different perspective there. But uh, going into the Super Bowl week, he should be fine. Um, I'm sure that they're going to do precautionary measures, like maybe also continue to use that insert in his shoe. But other than that, um, I wouldn't have any concern with him coming back and, and playing full go. Uh, anyone else on the Chiefs you want to cover before we well, bounce to the 49ers? Yeah, so um, one of the big things that, um, as far as like just with the Chiefs in general, is they they have multiple injuries that have happened over the playoffs. Like we were talking about Pacheco, Tatooney, um, uh, Amenahue, all of that. But overall, they have been one of the healthiest teams through this playoff run. And I think that is so important when you look at a team and their success rate because you're going into each practice report. And I don't know if you heard Andy Reid come out. I mean, it was the shortest injury report I've heard all year. It may have been 25 seconds. Right. And he was, you know, Tooney's maybe – Amenahue's out, that's it. So when you're looking at that going into you know a Super Bowl, I think they're a step ahead of the game just as far as the luck that they've had without the injuries. 49ers, I think obviously the biggest one is Debo Samuel on his shoulder. Yep. Uh, he played in, in the NFC title game, didn't necessarily have the biggest game we've ever seen from him. Um, there were a couple of snaps there where it sort of looked like he was maybe favoring that shoulder and, and wasn't trying to launch it into people the way he normally does. But then there's some other plays where he certainly took a big shot or, you know, went to ground hard. So it, you know, maybe it limited him, but it didn't, it didn't shut him down. It didn't sort of take him out of the game and it didn't limit him to just a decoy role. Uh, how, how much is two weeks going to do for him? Yeah, we'd, we'd kind of discussed that, like how would he play more of that decoy role? They did get him involved. Yeah. Uh, I, I don't know if this is the right term, but like I truly think he may have dodged a bullet. Like they were very easily based off of how much they involved him that he could have landed on that shoulder, that left shoulder, and had another um, you know, inflammation of his AC joint or whatever that uh, impact would have caused. I think he's going to be fine. He's going to go into the Super Bowl. He's going to go all out. I think that he's going to be very involved in the game plan. And who knows, you know, if, if he does have some aggravation in that shoulder, the between the adrenaline and the time off and if they need to uh, give him an injection, he's going to be good to go. Yeah, I mean, he played 51 snaps uh, in that in that NFC Championship game, which was the second most of any sort of skill position player that isn't, you know, the quarterback in the offensive line to play every single snap. So they didn't scale down his workload that much. Maybe they, you know, he didn't have as, as many kind of targets or uh, carries than he would have had if he was 100% healthy. But it's not like they were, you know, easing him back, protecting him, not, you know, giving him just sort of specific packages or, or whatever they they put him pretty much put him out there as a full go and said let's see what let's see what happens here yep absolutely um who else do we need to talk about for the 49ers yeah so uh christian mccaffrey uh i don't know if you saw that still shot of him when he was getting tackled but his neck was pretty much wrenched to the side uh looked like initially what they would consider like a stinger um which is when you just kind of get that shooting nerve pain down your arm and maybe like a little bit of a muscle strain on his neck muscle he goes out Mitchell scores a touchdown. 
McCaffrey comes out in later reports like he was just worried that he wouldn't be able to grip the ball tight enough. And I'm looking at him like, you are exhausted. You just ran 15 yards through the defense. He was pretty tired coming out. At the end of the game, reports no issues. As today stands, McCaffrey's probably just sore with some of his neck muscles, and that's about it. He's going to be good to go. He had that stinger just kind of like Greenlaw had, comes back in, plays through it. I would not worry about either of them having any issues coming into the Super Bowl week. Yeah, McCaffrey's a guy that it feels like the extra week is huge for. I mean, he's he had the calf strain before uh, the playoff run. He's now had the stinger. Like He's just been beat up the last few weeks. Yeah. I imagine the extra week for him is awesome. If I were to put like an importance on this extra week for any player, number one would probably be Tooney. Number two would be McCaffrey. And especially just because of how physical he is, right. his body needs that. Now, you know, a little bit off that, like, People ask, well, what, what do you do when you have this week off? Are like you completely shutting down? This is a lot of active rest for these players, not rest rest. So what I mean by that is like they're still moving. They're running through drills. They're doing mobility exercises, getting their therapy. They're not just like sitting on the couch because your body will actually tend to stiffen up and go into pure relaxation mode. So he's going to be moving and stuff like that. But this week for him is so important that he just kind of gets all of his soft tissue issues taken care of. Uh, anyone else from the 49ers before we wrap it up? Uh, just watch out for um, Kittle. You probably saw that he had like a little bit of a toe issue and was hobbling um, in the game, but obviously he was good enough to come back in, especially for the last play of the hands team. He's going to be fine, but um, I wouldn't be surprised if like they limit him in practice, just, just more for rest so he doesn't have any aggravation of his toe. All right, that'll do it for uh, the Boo Boo Breakdown for this week, for the Super Bowl, and, of course, for the entire season. So yeah. a huge thank you to our guy, Vic Troja, for coming in and enlightening us all on injuries on the entire process. Uh, hopefully you guys have enjoyed listening to it. That's it for the PFF NFL podcast this week. Myself and Steve will be back on Monday previewing the big game, as you're contractually obliged to say. But that's it for the week. Hope you've enjoyed listening. Talk to you later.